and the other one told me to F off and go back to where I came from. Hello, you're listening to Life's a Bags podcast, a podcast created to inform, empower and educate all in the experiences of women of colour. I'm your host, Ro. On this week's episode and our season finale, I'm joined by a true inspiration to the activism movement. She has spent a decade and a half nurturing UK Black Pride as a safe space and also Europe's largest celebration of LGBTQ plus people of African, Asian, Caribbean, Middle Eastern and Latin American descent. In this episode, in this episode, in this episode, we talk about Lady Phil's career journey as an activist, the importance of having a plan when it comes to activism, equality and equity as black and brown people, and why it's okay to be angry and not okay. You also don't want to miss Lady Phil's tips on keeping mentally aware during these times and how to win by working as a collective. Hope you enjoy listening. Let's get into the episode. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Lady Phil. It's just great to have you here. It's, it's wonderful to be here and thank you for inviting me. You know, it's always to speak about the subjects that we're going to talk about. Yes. So let's just start with a quick intro. Lady Phil is a formidable voice um, in the fight for equality for queer people of colour, has over 20 years of experience as an LGBTQ plus rights activist and anti-racism campaigner. Just an absolutely amazing voice from the community. So very, very pleased to have Lady Phil here. So for some of our listeners who may not have heard much about Black Pride or doesn't know about the beginnings and doesn't know about that bus ride to Southend, could you just talk us through why you founded Black Pride? Yes, sure. So UK Black Pride was founded in 2005, but just taking it back um, a little bit, in 2004 and before then, a group of uh, black lesbian women were running an organisation called BLUK, B-L-U-K, Black Lesbians in the UK, and we took some of our activities offline and we decided to go to South End. This was in 2005. And this moment was so beautiful that, you know, black lesbian women, and I use black in its all encompassing word, uh-huh. we were just feeling quite liberated and empowered and, you know, connecting with people that have a shared commonality and understand the struggles of the racism, sexism, misogyny, misogynoir that we experience. And it was then that I was walking back with um, one of my co-partners and I said, this feels like the start of a a movement. It feels like the start of a Black Pride. So fast forward, 2005, went to what I would see as thought leaders and people who have privilege, power, influence in the community. And I said to them, well, I think it's high time we have a Black Pride in this country. I just need some guidance, support understanding of how it works, how funding works, and they were royally upset. Mm-hmm. And one of them turned around and smirked and laughed at us, and the other one told me to F off and go back to where I came from. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it made me really understand, and of course, we were incredibly hurt, but it made us understand that the reason and the necessity and the UK Black Pride had to be born was one because of the racism, the structural and systematic systemic racism that exists in society and also within our own LGBTQ plus communities um, Mm -hmm. is rife. It really is. And in 2005, there was also a heightened political 
political surge by the BNP who was Mm -hmm. spouting some nasty rhetoric and homophobic, Islamophobic, very sexist and racist comments. Um, And we realised that the time for waiting is over. You know, we're not just LGBTQ people and we're not just black people. We're not just women. We have these multiple identities which have very much been at the, the basis of oppression. So this is where the word intersectionality comes in, you know. Yeah. So everything that we do within UK Black Pride is looked at through an intersectional lens and a frame. And for me, you know, just seeing how far we've come and what we've done and what we've achieved as a movement, not a moment, it really shows that people have come, occupied their space and seen us as chosen family and we've connected with so many people from the UK to Europe to around the globe and it's um UK Black Pride is a force to be reckoned with and it's actually something that is etched in history now which looks at African, Caribbean, Asian, Middle Eastern, Indigenous, um you know, people from the diaspora who come to celebrate who they are and how they wish to be seen. And it looks at this again with a, with a lens of understanding gender diversity, all the different nuances and complexities about our communities from religion, faith and belief to those that are atheists, migrants, refugees, asylum seekers mm-hmm. that come and claim their space for the UK Black Ride. So I hope that mm. sums it up. And that was a real quick sort of synopsis (laughs) of UK Black Pride. No, I think you've done that beautifully. Um, That was really nice to hear. So thank you for that um, intro. Okay, so I'd love to learn a little bit more about yourself um, in terms of your professional background. How did you go from working in the civil service to human rights activism? How did you make that transition? Wow. You know, I don't think I ever made the transition. I think that it was Mm -hmm. a continual journey. So when I started in the civil service, you know, I've always been about equality, freedom and justice Mm -hmm. and always looked at ensuring that representation matters, that diversity matters and that we're included. So inclusion is really important. I mean, I started off at the lowest of lowest grades in the civil service and I worked my way up and I studied. At the same time, I was um, a young mother as well. I have a Mm -hmm. daughter that's 25. So it was a continual journey and And when I left the civil service after 10 years or just a little over 10 years of giving them a lot of my time, I Mm -hmm. moved into working in the trade union where I was the first and most senior lead negotiator in what's called a bargaining and justice union unit. So it meant that I was negotiating on behalf of our members terms and conditions and employment rights in like the Ministry of Justice and the Ministry of Defence. Um, and a lot of that work was not just about workers' rights. It was about human rights. It was about, you know, people's rights, women's rights, black people's rights, race equity, race equality. Mm-hmm. Um, so having spent that time in the trade union and also having been part of many of the various like trade union self-organizing groups, and I've always been a trade unionist, mm-hmm. um, I did some work with PSI, which is Public Services International 
International. Um, we worked alongside EPSU, which is the European Union. And all of this looked at equality. It looked at diversity. It looked at inclusion. And it looked at human rights around women and girls. It looked like, looked at the modern slavery bill. It looked at things from a legislative standpoint. And then I got the job at Kaleidoscope Trust, um, <laughs> where I was fortunate to, you know, beat off the other competitors. And for me, from UK Black Pride and working with and serving, I would say, black and brown communities where mm. many of us, you know, the UK is not where, we re- where we're born, but we reside for many different reasons. There was a natural connection with my work in human rights with Kaleidoscope Trust and what I do with UK Black Pride and working with the Global South to understand some of the challenges that they face, especially around colonial era laws. And Kaleidoscope's Trust mission is really to uphold human rights for all LGBT people um, around the world, primarily in the Commonwealth. Hmm. And how are you finding juggling those two roles? Have you got any useful tips for our listeners? Yeah, make sure that you understand what self-care looks like. Uh, (laughs) Burnout is really real. Now, Hmm. I've been doing UK Black Pride for 15 years, and it's not a paid job. Every single one of my team members are volunteers. Um, But what I've done with UK Black Pride is to grow the team. So I have an amazing group of people who make sure that they're doing the work all year round. And of Mm -hmm. course, I'm overseeing many of the different factors of, you know, from finance to fundraising to partnerships and sponsorships, but we've got like a comms area. So I've created and carved out a structure for UK Black Pride that works. So it doesn't mean it won't survive if I pull out, you know, there's people there doing that. But with my day job, so that's like the gay job and then my day job, this is what I'm paid to do. Um, I think for me, the challenge is is finding time. I mean, I'm not the best person to ask about how I apply self-care to myself, but Mm -hmm. I'm very, very good at giving advice and guidance, (laughs) whereas I'm getting better and I'm learning. I think juggling various bits of work or your activism or how you advocate for change has to be done in a way that is, of course, meaningful, but you have to do it with people. You know, activism, you don't win rights just by doing something by yourself. You know, mm. look at, you know, the civil rights movement. It wasn't one person that achieved, you know, the right for people to vote. It wasn't one person that stopped segregation in schools. It was a body of people. So I would always say that when you are doing something, make sure that the collective struggle is there to hold you up when you feel weak. Mm. You're there to hold somebody else up when they're feeling weak. Because as black and brown people, especially in a UK context, Mm -hmm. we are having to endure so much and have had to endure so much that Mm -hmm. we often keep on going from one thing to the next, one thing to the next. And then it has such a detrimental impact on our mental health and well-being and everyone has mental health but it's when it turns to poor or ill mental health that's when you don't see the signs and that's when you can't leave your house or that's when you're burnt out so much that you can't even turn your phone on or deal with your child Mm. or deal with family members or you snap or you just break or you feel like you're in a dark place so you know I would say let's understand that collectively we can do so much than trying to do things in an isolated fashion. 
Hmm. So in these times where there's so much going on with recent, you know, Black Lives Matter protests globally, how can people turn their anger and their pain into transformative action? I would say that we should be allowed to be angry, mm-hmm. be allowed to be hurt. We should be allowed to cry and we should be allowed to let off steam when we want to. But when we're talking about turning things into transformative action, Mm -hmm. some of those emotions are what play out in order for it to transform. If I hadn't have been so outraged and angry and hurt Mm -hmm. by what and how particular people in our LGBTQ communities had treated me and others because Mm -hmm. I'm a black lesbian woman, I don't think we would have arrived at the place that we've arrived at. Mm -hmm. But what I did do is make sure you speak to whether it's people who hold positions in law and understand legislation, whether it's grassroots activists or communities or organisations, whether it's corporates and brands, and making sure that they understand that a change has to come. So in a change, you have to have a strategy. And I know this may seem boring to some, but, you know, I think that the greatest things at work is when you strategize about the change you want to see. What's your vision? What's your mission? What does your theory of change actually look like? Because protesting is great and it's needed. But Mm -hmm. what happens after the protest? Now, Parliament, that's where laws are changed and legislation is set. But you need people inside there, whether it's your Diane Abbott or your Dawn Butler or, or whoever it may be, then mm-hmm. you need policymakers who who may be black, you know, who, who have this experience. And then you also need those organisations and charities who are willing to amplify your cause, allow you to use their platforms as well. So I think that there's a multitude of things that can be done. Let's have a strategy. Let's have a plan. Let's have a way forward. And let's think about what it is we want to achieve. When you look at the Windrush scandal, and you see the people campaigning behind it, it's because they've sat down and they are campaigning hard, but in a collective sense and bringing so many different key people around that table. Mm-hmm. You know, what we complain about and rightfully so complain about when we're talking about representation at all levels is because we don't see ourselves around the table. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not waiting to be around that table. I'm creating my own table. And that's what we need to do by bringing in so many different voices, our, our young black queer people, our disabled black queer people, you know, our gender diverse black queer people around the table so that they can ensure that what they're asking for is fed into that wider strategy as, a, as opposed to, you know, us thinking, oh yeah, we need a bit of this and we need a bit of that and we'll protest here or, you know, we'll put something on social media. It takes all of it. But mm to be done sometimes in a systematic way. And of course, don't get me wrong, we need to react to some things, rightfully so. And, you know, I'm seeing a a real surge in the way especially young people have held that mantle and they're out there and they are really shouting from the rooftops, enough is enough. They are challenging things in such an unapologetic way. Now, Mm -hmm. what older generation need to do is make sure we're having this intergenerational conversation so that we can talk about what worked in the past and what didn't so that it makes it easier for the next generation to ensure that their path feels 
safe and feels good for them. So also in the wake of recent events as well, there's been a call to recognise leading black organisations, creatives, entrepreneurs. I'm sure that you've seen a huge influx in interest in Black Pride. Have you got any advice on, you know, black creatives, entrepreneurs or, you know, heads of organisations who are dealing with the same sudden influx? How can they differentiate between genuine support and not so genuine support? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> putting it nicely <laughs> there's there's a lot of this and I think you know you've got um exist loudly you've got black girls uh, festival mm-hmm. um, you've got many many different individual creatives people from the arts who are receiving emails saying oh we want to do this we want to give you this and we want you to you know to have this because black lives really matter mm-hmm. understanding what is performative and what what is tokenistic to what feels genuine is about having this meaningful conversation to let those who do now who now want to give and give money and say you know it's because they support black lives and all black lives matter and they really get it is what are they going to do to continue the dialogue to continue the conversation and not just in that one moment that they feel that they've given you know five grand and okay it's all right now or we put a square yeah, black square up on black square on instagram <laughs> really yeah i mean we can go into that because mm. that could be quite controversial for some i just think that performative has no place in our activism but meaningful engagement and meaningful long-term dialogue about mm-hmm. how they are going to change their organizations whether it's from recruitment to selection to internships where are they advertising these jobs are are they asking us to use our platforms so that we can get more black and brown queer people into positions of leadership? Are they going to review their policies and procedures? Will they have mandatory training? How mm-hmm. will they follow up on, you know, yes, you've given us five grand, but what else are you doing to support the black people in your organization who may actually be feeling triggered or traumatized by what is happening in the world today? Because this is not just about the Black Lives Matter with what happened with George Floyd, which, you know, hurt us. But this is COVID. We're losing family Mm -hmm. members at a more disproportionate rate than anybody else because it's disproportionately impacting black and brown communities. You know, we've already gone through Windrush, Grenfell. You know, it's never ending. The abuse and turmoil on our bodies and minds is constant. So Mm. performative is not good. Because when you've stopped with the Pride season, we're still black and queer, you know, mm-hmm. after LGBT History Month, after Pride season, you know, after Black History Month. So it has to be a 365 days a year conversation, utilizing the fact that there is structural racism within your charity sector or within your your corporates or within your brand what are you going to do to change it and maybe we need to hold the you know the fire to their feet a bit more if we come together collectively to be able to do this So speaking of the pandemic, the pandemic has changed things for a lot of people, including UK Black Pride celebrations this year. But what does creating safe spaces during a COVID phase look like to you? How have you adapted? 
Yeah, um, I mean, this is, of course, it's our 15th birthday for UK Black Pride this year. And, you know, mm. we were really hoping to go out with a bang, you know, and make sure everyone could really enjoy themselves in this physical space. But creating safe spaces, our theme this year is about home. And mm. it being home is because many of us are having to be at home or we're in homes that we don't necessarily want to be in, but it's the safest place for us to be um, because we can't live out on the streets. But again, we also, I say safest place, it's the only place that we can be. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's safe. So our our theme around home is about how we combat loneliness and isolation and creating this digital virtual events that we have coming up in August, August the 16th. We are going to be ensuring that those who are from low economic socioeconomic backgrounds or asylum seekers, migrants, some of our our, our trans and non-binary siblings, we will be finding ways to top up their phone or to Mm. top up their data so that they can join in in the festivities. We have looked at certain parts of how we moderate the various rooms that we will have because we don't want people coming in whilst we're talking about reconciling faith, religion, belief and sexuality. Um, And we also don't want to be the targets of these bigots and racists out there that infiltrate our spaces mm-hmm. and then end up calling us the n-word as happens to a friend of a friend of mine so you know there's lots of things we're putting in place but we're just trying to stay connected with so many people mm-hmm. um, and that's probably the one way of trying to ensure a, a safe working space if that's what I can call it because mm-hmm. we can't literally visit everyone at home but we are connecting you know via every possible social media platform that we can Mm -hmm. just to make sure people feel that they've still got their chosen family out there in a time which may feel very very difficult especially for our trans siblings who have had to endure far too much bs uh, around people debating their lives and their bodies what's your hope for the future what change would you like to see (laughs) I would love all forms of inequality to be eradicated where we are free you know as as Maya Angelou has said you know none of us are free until all of us are free I want there to be no youth poverty and homelessness I want there to be no form of racism that touches our lives I want there to be no discrimination against disabled people I want trans people to survive and win but I think those are very broad things that and how I'm answering them. I think Mm -hmm. we're saying, what do I see in the next year or two? I'm hopeful, but I'm hopeful if we come together collectively to really think deeply and think hard about our achievements, what we want to achieve and what we aspire to achieve around equality and equity for us as Black LGBT plus people. For some Black and Brown people who look at, you know, what's going on with the world and the fight for LGBT TQ plus right and think the fight doesn't relate to them what do you say to that I don't know if I've come across 
many people that have not felt that the fight doesn't relate to them. I think Mm -hmm. that there's a struggle to be had or to be seen or that's been felt if you're LGBTQ plus or if you're black. You know, Mm. racism exists. So there's going to be something that you've experienced or you know somebody that has experienced it. You know, and I've always said that my struggle has to be your struggle and your struggle has Mm. to be my struggle. Uh, Mm -hmm. Without that, then it's I, I I'm not sure I'm not sure I think I I'll have to ponder on that I really will because this world is not an equal just society for everyone no. so maybe a person who doesn't feel that this fight is for them or that they're included or that it affects them there's an amount of understanding their privilege um that they need to recognize or check so where can the people find you like what's your social channels so it's you UK Black Pride, all one word, lowercase. That's Instagram, Twitter, and also Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, you can also, we're not on that Snapchat. And I'm, I'm <laughs> not on Snapchat, but you can also go onto our website, which is ukblackpride.org.uk, and you'll find more information about how to get involved. Perfect. Thank you so much. So that's episode 12 with Lady Phil. In order to create meaningful change, you need to have a clear plan. Strategy may be boring, but it will help you gain better results. Before we go and wrap up the season, we of course had to play a round of Speak On It with Lady Phil. Our Speak On It segment is a quick fire round where guests have 30 seconds per word to give their views on buzzwords that resonate well with their worlds. Here's how it went with Lady Phil. I'm going to start with the first word, which is Black Lives Matter. Well, it's more than just, it's it's a movement, not a moment. Pride. Love, peace, solidarity, hope and compassion. Intersectionality. Overcoming the barriers of oppression. Solidarity. Collective support and love. Activism. Advocating for change in many different ways. Justice. Freedom. So thank you so much for joining us, Lady Phil. No, thank you very much. I really appreciate this conversation. And, you know, to all your listeners, I'm just saying to you, you keep on doing what you're doing. And, you know, you've certainly got the support of UK Black Pride. Thank you. Thank you so much. A big thank you to Lady Phil for her time and for enabling us to close out the season with her thoughts on change. We'll be taking some time to gather ideas on what the next season or our parent brand, The Collective London, looks like in the coming weeks and months. Please do follow us on Instagram at Lifesabags Podcast, where we will be providing updates. We're open to feedback and ideas on what you'd like to see next, so feel free to reach out. Send us a DM or an email. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until the next one, thank you so much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by The Collective London.